0: So Jim Grunwald is a two-time Olympian in Greco-Roman wrestling uh, in 2000 and 2004. Like I said earlier, he's currently the wrestling coach at Wheaton College and also the strength and conditioning coach. Uh, but those aren't the things that he cares the most about. Uh, like it says in the bulletin, uh, Jim likes to say, Jesus Christ is life. The rest is just wrestling. Uh, what he really wants us to know about him is that he loves and follows jesus as his lord and savior that he loves his wife rachel who is here with us and his seven children uh, aiden his son and his daughters arwen ava autumn elise ashley and amber uh, jim actually lives very close here to phcc he's friends with many of us i think who are here um, and I think he is eager to share with us this morning. So. May the Lord bless you, Jim. Thank you. the words of your mouth. All right, I think
1: I'm on. Can you, am I on now? Can you hear me? Yep. Good. If I have to, I'll use my coaching voice. But uh, I wanted to avoid that as much as possible. I'm also going to set my Jim Shut Up uh, timer here. Uh, I was told... Uh, to keep it within a certain amount. And I also know that after about 20 minutes, people start nodding off. So to keep that from happening, I'll uh, make sure that I stay on script. Although I, I did want to after, you know, just hearing about generosity. Uh, I mean, God just laid something on my heart just, just as I was listening just to the different organizations that you have. And I think one of the greatest uh, indicators of gratitude is generosity. And I guess our generosity, should be, um, our, gen- our generosity should be driven by that lens of Christ, right? How we saw how generous God has been for us. And um, in us being grateful, we move forward with our gratitude towards Christ and our generosity to others. Now, with that being said, sometimes our generosity can be taken advantage of. <laughs> I know one time I had a guy approach me. I gave him a little bit of money, he asked me for a ride somewhere, I gave him a ride, I dropped him off at a liquor store. And I'm like, oh no. (laughs) So he took my generosity and used it in a way. So, But what that did then, and I was younger when this happened, and um, I'm not saying it was wrong to give the person money, but it informed how I was going to be generous moving forward. And so in the future when people ask me for money, I'm like, hey, can I get you a meal? And the people who are truly interested in that will say, yes, I will take that. And I've walked people to restaurants and bought them a meal. And other people are like, no, I just want the money. I'm like, well, I'm sorry, I can't do that because I don't know how you're going to use it. I want to make sure because I've been burned before. My generosity has been taken advantage of. And so I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing, which is being generous, and doing it the right way, um, which I think is important. So it's not like we're blindly generous. I think we need to be generous in a thoughtful and in a in definite, definite Christ-like way. So that was that has nothing to actually do with the message. Um, and some people maybe not have the resources to be super generous, but they have skills. Like my, my, my parents aren't super wealthy, but my stepdad and my mom are so generous. Um, my stepdad's an electrician, so he at times will go over to a people's house that can't afford an electrician, and he'll do work on their house. Sometimes they're widows, and I look at that and I see how you know, like true religious observation is, is 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 to help widows and orphans. I see my stepdad doing that, not with money, but with his time and his talents, and he's he's an amazing electrician. So again, his his generosity isn't necessarily monetary, but it's he's generous in a way that is very Christ-like, and so that's an example to me that sometimes my generosity doesn't necessarily mean having to give somebody something; it could be doing something for someone. Um, so with that being said. Uh, the actual message today, and I'm not looking to make any uh, biblical applications to your life. I think, not that I think that that's necessarily wrong, um, but I think there's a better way of doing things. I mentioned earlier, doing the right thing the right way. When I read the Bible, I don't want to make applications to my life, and again, I don't think that's necessarily wrong. I think that's a way of of using Scripture. But now I've been reading Scripture, listening to Scripture listening to people as they give scripture to me and not looking to make an application. But my challenge for you is how is this going to transform me? How can I make a change to become more Christ-like? And I think that's a better way. And again, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with making an application from scripture to your life. But I think it's entry-level Christianity. When we really should be reading Scripture through the lens of Christ and asking, how is this going to transform me to being more Christ-like? We can't be Christ because He was God, but how can we be more Christ-like? How can we get to that point? So what I wanted to do is just read a couple of passages um, from Acts. Uh, the first one is in Acts, one through uh, eight, one through four. And I want to read this because I want to look at how the church prospered, how the church grew in times of both persecution and peace. And so I'm going to read three different passages that illustrate that. And then I'm going to just have a challenge to all of us on how we can advance Christ in his kingdom. So the first one, pardon me, I've got to use these now. I'm at the age of my life where my contacts don't work uh, as well as they used to. But it says... And Shaul gave his approval to his murder, referencing back to Stephen being murdered. So starting with that day, there arose intense persecution against the Messianic community in Jerusalem. All but the emissaries were scattered throughout the regions of Judah and uh, Samaria. Some godly men buried Stephen and mourned him deeply. But Shaul set out to destroy the Messianic community. Entering house after house, he dragged off both men and women and handed them over to be put in prison. However, those who were scattered announced the good news of the word wherever they went. So here you have an, op, you have an example of the church being persecuted, people scattering to different parts of the world, and when they scattered, what did they do? They announced the good news of Christ. The next uh, uh, passage, just jumping over right over to, uh, to Acts 9, and it's Acts 9.31 and this is a little bit, 31 and 32. Then the Messianic community throughout Judah and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace and was built up. They lived and feared the Lord with the counsel of the Holy Spirit, and their numbers kept multiplying. So here you have one instance where the church is spreading under persecution. You have a second example, just a chapter over, where we have another example of the church now growing in peace. And then I want a third one where we jump over to just a little bit further again, uh, Romans eleven nineteen through 21. In Romans eleven nineteen through 21, we have in this situation, Now those who had been scattered because of the persecution which had arisen over Stephen went as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. They spoke God's word, but only to Jews. However, some of these men from Cyprus and Cyrene when they arrived at Antioch began speaking to the Greeks too. So the gentiles proclaiming the good news of the Lord Yeshua. The hand of the Lord was with them and a great number of people trusted and turned to the Lord. So you have persecution, you have Christians scattering to different parts of the world. You have one instance there was peace and you have another instance where they are persecuted. And now they're now they're in a spot where they're not being persecuted. They're talking to both Jews and gentiles and their numbers are multiplying. So I'm very fond of an expression that goes like this. As much as things change, they stay the same. If you look at the early church, there was division. If you look at the early church, there was moments of peace and persecution. We know this because we have scripture to go back to. We can go to 1 Corinthians and see how the church, even at its, in its infancy, I and mean, we're talking within 40 years of the death of Christ, had already started splitting up into cults of personality, Some people wanted to follow Peter. Some people wanted to follow Paul. Some people wanted to follow Silas. Some people said, where they're following the Messiah. And Paul was looking at them and saying, wait a minute, has the Messiah become split apart? And he kind of rebuked him and said no. And so we don't need to have these cults of personality. What we do need to do is remember the central part of the gospel. The gospel is not about us. Salvation is about us, right? And we can tell people about our salvation story, but if we're sharing the gospel, the gospel is not about us. The gospel is about Christ. And so as much as things change, they stay the same. Whether we're being persecuted, and I think that's a hard, that's something hard to really say in America. At least, I'm not saying that there isn't persecution that exists in the United States of America, but when you look at our country and you compare it to places like China, places like Iran, places like Russia. My college coach, wonderful man of God, used to bring Bibles. When he would go to wrestling tournaments overseas, he would bring Bibles with him and hand them out because they didn't have the Word of God there. And so he would bring it to them in Russian. He wasn't persecuted as an American bringing Bibles into Russia. He got in trouble for it a couple of times, but there was no threat of of him getting thrown in jail. Now, there are some missionaries over in Russia, a man by the name of Stephen Barrett, who was told very definitely, if you don't leave Russia right now, you are going to die. Okay, that's threat of persecution. He left, and so now his, his ministry is now in more of kind of Central Asia. These are examples of real persecution, and we can read story after story. Listen, you just have to jump on the Facebook or the Internet and find stories of real persecution where people are dying for their faith. I don't know that anybody's really dying for their faith in the U.S. I'm not saying that people aren't persecuted, but there are levels of persecution. And in other parts of the world and throughout history, people died for their faith. The original Christians were tossed into the Colosseum and were torn apart by wild animals while other people cheered it. That's persecution. And then there's situations, too, where there's what I would call real persecution, even here in the U.S., and then manufactured persecution. Real persecution is some of the instances I just described. right? Manufactured persecution is when people are supposed to be doing their job. I mean, there's a story, uh, it's been a few years now, uh, there was a, uh, a, a woman, and I'm not going to name names, but she didn't want to hand out marriage licenses to gay couples. Well, the law was that that was acceptable. Her job as a clerk was to do that. She didn't want to do it. It was part of her job. And so she said she was being persecuted. No, you have a job to do. If you don't like the job and what's in your job description to do, then you need to find another job. There's other situations, right? If, if a person is at work and they're sharing the gospel while they're supposed to be working, you're supposed to be working, not sharing the gospel. You can share the gospel at your break. You can invite your coworkers to your house, share a meal with them, and share the gospel. And they can determine from that point on whether they want to. But if you're at work, supposed to be doing a job, you're not being persecuted when, you're, when your boss comes up to you and says, Hey, I don't want you talking about Jesus right now. I want you doing your job. This is not me persecuting you. This is what you're getting paid to do. If you want to be a missionary, be a missionary, but do it on your time, not the company's time. And there is nothing wrong with that boss tell, going up and telling someone to stop sharing the gospel when they're supposed to be working. Listen, I'll be quite frank. If someone is operating, if there's a neurosurgeon operating on my brain, I don't want him sharing the gospel with the nurse right next to him when he needs to be focused on fixing my brain, which you can ask my wife and kids, probably needs to be fixed. All that to say is, there is, there is a time to share the gospel. And a lot of us want to do it, and again, right thing, right way. We want to do it when it's convenient for us. You're milking the clock. Do your job. If you really want to share the gospel, how about inviting your coworker to lunch somewhere? Share the gospel then. How about inviting your co-worker home and share the gospel then? That's the right way to do it. Or on your weekends, go out and share the gospel. You can do it on the corner Uh, You could be a street preacher. There's opportunities for you to be able to share the gospel. Again, I'm talking about real and manufactured persecution. So I want us to make sure that if we are being persecuted, we're really being persecuted, and we're not manufacturing the persecution and acting like a martyr. Because that, I think, is kind of an insult to people who are legitimately sharing the gospel and being persecuted in places where the gospel message is against the law. A lot of times we have opportunities to share the gospel. So I was at the Olympic Training Center for 12 years. And I remember getting there and people not so affectionately called me God boy because I would read my Bible and I would share the gospel, you know, back in the dorm rooms where it was appropriate. Not during wrestling practice when I'm supposed to be wrestling and working hard and training, but back in the dorms. And so we'd be sitting in and I would share. And I remember one of my friends, Ethan Bosch, and this is probably all the th- things with the Olympics and whatnot. That's, that's great. And I appreciated it. And it was awesome that God blessed me in that way. But in the end, I'm not going to get to heaven. And God's not going to have a poster. He's not going to say, hey, Jim, I got this poster on Amazon. Can you sign this for me? Right? That's a conversation I'm not going to have with God. He is going to ask, what did you do with what I gave you? And one of the things that I do with what I gave you is I invited one of my friends at the Olympic Training Center to church. He's like, ah, Grunwald, I'm really not into that whole organized religion thing. But I would see him looking up verses like they would have some guy standing up in the end zone holding up a Bible verse. He would look those up to see what they meant. So there was, some, there was a there there, but he just wasn't interested in coming to church. He didn't understand the value of coming to church and experiencing the body of Christ and how encouraging that could be. He didn't know Jesus. He didn't know God. Well... I did the next best thing. I started playing Scrabble with my buddy Bosh. And then I invited him over to my, friend Ethan, uh, to my friend Tony's place and the three of us would play Scrabble together and Tony would provide snacks and we would sit and we would talk about the Bible. We would talk about life or the universe and everything. Right? We talked about a lot of different things. And after doing this for months with Ethan, we finally got to the point where we looked at him and said, Bosh! We've been playing Scrabble? We, here we are playing Scrabble? We've told you about Jesus. At some point, you're going to have to do something about Jesus because there is no neutrality. And so he said, Bosh, what are you going to do with Christ? And he sat and he looked at us. He said, I think I need to accept Christ as my Savior. And it was awesome. So at that moment, he accepted Christ. So all those things that I've done at the Olympic level, that is a nothing burger in the scope of eternity. Ethan Bosh coming to Christ... That is something that is truly and eternally valuable. Ethan is now married. He attends church regularly. He is a solid man of God. And I could list off other guys that had their lives affected by our ministry at the Olympic Training Center. Chris Mirabella accepted uh, Christ as his Savior after Ethan did. And they were close friends. And Chris and Ethan had a really good relationship. Then Chris goes back home and leads his parents to the Lord. It spread throughout the training center. And then it went and spread throughout their individual communities as they went back home. We did the right thing the right way. We weren't sharing the gospel in wrestling practice when we're supposed to be beating each other up and trying to win World Olympic medals. We shared, I know, right? We shared Christ back in our homes. And our homes at that point was back in the dorms. And it was when we were eating food. We did the right thing the right way. One of the other things that um, I wanted to remind us of is the world is always going to be the world, the world is going to resist the gospel. A lot of times as Christians, we try judging the world. And that doesn't say that we don't need to be discerning and point out things that don't line up with our Christian beliefs. But it's not our place to judge the world. It's our word to be discerning between what is good and evil and to make sure that we do the good, we cling to the good, and we get rid of the evil. Both in our communities, and our lives, within our body of believers. If you look at 1 Corinthians uh, 5, 9-13, Paul very definitely is encouraging the, the Corinthian believers, listen... Don't judge the world. God will judge the world. I want you to keep an eye on each other. And just as he told the Galatians, then in, in, in Galatians 6, 1 through 3, that if someone in your body of believers is doing something wrong, you are supposed to point it out, but in the spirit of humility, to call out the wrongdoing. And to build that person back up so they can become a solid part of your congregation so that the body of Christ is healthy and strong and vibrant, and it does its job, which is not to judge the world, Our job as believers is simple. Listen, I'm going to give you Christianity in 30 seconds. So if you don't have like a 30-second message of the gospel that you can give to someone on an elevator or in a real short conversation, I'm going to give it to you. And then you can take a deeper dive into five minutes. The first 30 seconds is simple. Someone asks you why you believe what you believe, 30 seconds or less. Well, listen, we are created to glorify God. We are commanded to love God and love our neighbor, and our neighbor is not just people who believe like us, our neighbors are also people who don't believe like us. So we're, we're commanded to, commanded. We're, we're created to glorify God, we're commanded to love God and love our neighbor, and the best way that you can do that is to share Christ. That's the gospel message right there in under 30 seconds. Now if someone says, wow that's really interesting, they want to take a deeper dive, well then you just tell them about Jesus. You take the next 4 minutes and 30 seconds and share a deeper message of the gospel, which is who is Christ? Who is Jesus? And you can go back 2,000 years and tell them this is what Jesus did. He came. He lived among people. It is God once again showing God's mercy. The character of God is immutable, and God throughout the history of humanity has constantly reached out and tried to reestablish a relationship that we as humanity keep rebuffing. And so God's final effort was to provide us with Christ. So you tell him about Jesus and his ministry. You tell him about how both people in religion and secular community got together and killed him on the cross. But that was just all part of the plan because three days later he rose from the grave. He met with the the disciples. He met with other followers and now he's sitting at the right hand of God interceding for us. So that is a five minute presentation of the gospel. And then listen, you can take a lifetime then trying to learn it and explain it, doing deep dives in the, in the scripture and trying to find that one true. Listen, there's a lot of fractures within, our, within the body of believers you got some people who believe Calvinism, another group that's Arminianism. you got some people who are pre-trib and post-trib. You've got all these different distinctions within the body of Christ. We are fractured. They were fractured then. We're fractured now. Why? Because we introduce people, and people are flawed. And we forget that the gospel and the message in the Bible is not about us. It's about Christ. It's about God reaching out to humanity, and that's our job. We've got one job to do as Christians, and that's to share the gospel. So my encouragement to you to this morning is let's just do our job and this message isn't isn't necessarily as much to you as I'm just I'm speaking to myself here as well because I don't do this perfectly either and again I can't be Christ but how close to being how close to being Christ can I be how Christ like well there goes the message how Christ like can I be that's fine I've got the the rest of it up here and I have been dropped in my head quite a few times but we're almost finished um so the final, the final part of this is this. Forget about life applications. I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying life applications are bad, but how can the message of Scripture, how can that 30-second, how can that encouragement that I just give you make you more Christ-like, transform you into a more Christ-like person to make sure that we are sharing the gospel, doing the right thing the right way. So that's my message to you. Short and sweet. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm short and intense. So I like keeping things short and intense. I've given you some scriptures to kind of go back and look at. I've referenced scriptures another way. Talked about loving God and loving her. That's in all the Gospels. That's in Deuteronomy as well. If you want to look about the original love God and love your neighbor, it's found in Deuteronomy. The New Testament, in many ways, is just a commentary on the Old Testament. Um, and so we need to understand that all scripture both old and new, are important. And how can we read that through the lens of Christ, not through our own lens, eisegesis, looking to imply upon Scripture what we want it to say because we're human and we're sinful and we want what we want when we want it, rather than saying, okay, exegesis, how can I draw out that one right interpretation of Scripture? There's a lot of different interpretations of Scripture, but there's only one right interpretation of Scripture, and that's God's interpretation. If God were speaking to God, God would understand God perfectly because He's God. You put, in, you put humanity into the mix, and now all of a sudden we mess things up. My wife was just living, I was just talking about this with my wife, she introduced this, she was showing me this comedian, right? Uh, this, this individual walks up to another individual and says, hey, you really look good today. And they're like, oh, what are you saying I didn't look good yesterday? So you have an individual, right, who's giving someone a compliment, but they didn't take it, they didn't hear it as a compliment. Right? Because that's humanity and we're sinful. Now that other person could have caught up to that person and said, hey, you look really good today for you. Well, that's not really a compliment. That's, that's, a, that's a little bit of an insult. Right? So that's humanity. So God giving God, God speaking to God, it happens perfectly. God speaking to us, he gives it perfectly. We don't hear it so perfectly because we want what we want when we want it. So I want us... To start looking at scripture, not through our own human lens, but as much as possible for that, for that spirit-filled, Lord, pray this prayer. Lord, how can I understand your word as you intended it to be understood? And pray that daily so that when you read the gospel, you share it, you understand it, it transforms you, and then you give it to other people. Now, they're either going to hear it rightly or wrongly, but that's on them, that's not on you right our job is to share the gospel our job is to be christ-like i can't change how other people think i can just give them the information that they need to make right choices that expression you can lead a water you can lead a horse to water but you can't make a drink true right you can salt the oats which is going to make them thirsty And so we can also do that as we give things. We do the right thing the right way. So I'm asking you not only to lead people to Christ, but in some ways also salt the oats. Make them hungry and thirsty by showing them your life. Showing them Christ through you. Being that light to the word. Being that salt and light, right? Salt to make something taste better. Our lives should be that. Joe, if you want to come up here and... And and close up. But uh I hope that's encouraging to you. I'm gonna turn myself off now and I'll just rely on my coach was to point you towards God in Christ. That's all I wanted to do this morning. To allow the gospel message, to allow the truth of scripture to transform you. So really thank you for the opportunity. I talked with Pastor Scott a few years ago and I said a lot of times in Wheaton and I've spoken all over the country, but Wheaton is this interesting creature where if you don't have a gazillion letters behind your name, they're really not interested in what you have to say. And I don't have a gazillion letters behind my name. I'm just a short, ugly guy that lives up the block. Right? So Pastor Scott called me up and said, Hey, remember when you said you'd like to fill the pulpit again? I said, Yeah, absolutely. He said, Well, I, I'm going on this anniversary thing with my wife. Would you be interested in, in, in sharing? A message that God lays on your heart. And I said, absolutely I would. Thank you for not being like a lot of Wheaton churches and expecting me to have a gazillion letters after my name. So to you as well as this body of believers, thank you for allowing me to come and share and encourage and build you up as a fellow believer. Joe?
0: Thank you, Jim. Uh, it's a good word. I. uh It's interesting. Um, Uh, something that I feel like I didn't experience very much growing up in the church uh, uh, was instruction on how to share my faith which given what uh, Jesus says about his followers uh, in some ways is kind of a gross oversight but I've received a tremendous amount of that being involved with InterVarsity Uh, I think over the, uh, I've been on staff with university for 23 years almost now and was involved as a student for four, so almost three decades. And I've probably learned, uh, oh, I don't know, 10 different gospel outlines to share with people that kind of make some things about the gospel more clear. I, I mean, the challenge with any sort of outline is that uh, with any sort of method of sharing something that is complex and multifaceted is that always in the effort to make some things clear will obscure other things but the point is, (laughs) I digress, uh, is that I think Jim's challenge to us to have something that we can say to others when they ask us or when they are curious or when uh, they are doing things that it makes it clear to us if our eyes are open That they are looking for God. Do we have something that we can tell them? Uh, As Jesus said uh, in Acts before the ascension, he said, you will be my witnesses. So the question is, not are you a witness? Because you are. If Jesus has come into your life and has changed you and has saved you, you are a witness. The question is, are you a good one or not? the question is will you actually say anything or will you just keep it to yourself so I I feel a renewed sense of challenge to be thoughtful and intentional and vocal uh, to share my faith with my actions and with my words uh, to be thoughtful uh, in ways Uh, to be thoughtful and clear with others. Uh, So, may we abide in Christ. May we bear good fruit because we are abiding. And may part of that fruit be that we share the gospel. Because certainly that should be some of what that fruit is. That we love others well in word and deed. That we share the gospel with them. Lord Jesus, thank you for our time together today. We lift all these things to you. We go with you this week, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.